It's such a blessing today to have uh, our youth director, Isaiah Thomas, come and bring today's message. Um, Many of you haven't met Isaiah yet, so this is an opportunity for you to get to know him and his heart a little bit. Uh, Our youth know him. He has been working hard since this summer um, with our middle and high schoolers, and a lot of you that have middle and high schoolers have been blessed already by his ministry. We've known Isaiah for years. He's been a part of a church plan of ours and um, is wrapping up his time in seminary and is a great blessing to us. I appreciate having Isaiah a part of our leadership team, and um, I've heard the gospel from him, and I know you will today too. So, Isaiah, thank you. Thanks for bringing the word of God today. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks to my family and friends uh, who are visiting um, today. Uh, So thank you before I get going here. Uh, Last week, uh, if this is your first time here with us, uh, we have been going through a sermon series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And last week, we talked about the challenge of peacemaking as members of the kingdom of God. And as we begin to look more and more like Christ uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit that dwells within us, uh, the fruit of peace is worked within us, and peacemaking should be an evident aspect of our lives and our day-to-day. So today we move on to the next beatitude, Matthew uh, 5, verse 10. Um, And so Steve left me with the task to talk about persecution, uh, so he gave me the easy one. Um, So uh, as we begin to dig in this morning, turn with me to Matthew 5, uh, verse 10, and it'll be up on the screen as well, and we'll read from God's Word. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful to be in your house um, on this Sunday morning. We're grateful for how you uh, unite us all under your name, uh, despite our differences and uh, the things that we've been through. We can all come here under your name uh, and praise you for the things that you have done, are doing, and will do. I pray that you'd open our hearts in our minds, uh, uh, your word this morning to what it is you have to say to us. Uh, I pray that you'd help me speak clearly. I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your, in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Uh, one of the things that sticks out to me and that uh, caught me off guard, I guess, as I was reading, as we've been going through um, this passage is the place that this verse comes in uh, within the, the sort of uh, stream of consciousness or train of thought um, or whatever you want to call it um, in this passage in the order that it appears to us in. Uh, because up to this point, Jesus has been uh, preaching to this crowd things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for uh, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And, he, and all, none of those things are necessarily light, but they're all pretty hopeful, um, uh, pretty encouraging. And then he just lands on, blessed are those who are persecuted. And I can almost, for me, I can almost hear the record scratch in my head as, the, as he's going through this series. Because I imagine people are like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Persecution. What, what, what are we talking about persecution for? My life's already hard. Why do I want to be a part of this, this group, this kingdom? Why would I follow you if my life's already hard? And you're telling me there are going to be times where it just gets harder. 
Um, and I think that's a fair question because there's a tension here, right? It says, blessed are those who are persecuted, but at the same time, persecution isn't a great thing. No one in their right mind would seek out persecution. But also, it says that there's a blessing to be received uh, for those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not persecuted for, for anything, but persecuted for righteousness specifically. And so let's remember the crowd that Jesus is talking to right now, the people that uh, make up this, this group. He's talking to Jews who are praying and waiting for Israel to be restored uh, to glory. Uh, and, and they're in the midst of this Roman occupation, so they already feel oppressed. You've got people who are suffering from diseases, ailments, illnesses, people who are oppressed by demons, uh, people who are paralyzed and have other forms of, of um, disabilities, people who are socially neglected and outcast, uh, fishermen who aren't idolized for their jobs um, in their day and age. And so these people, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who are already down bad. And here, in this series of Beatitudes, of these blessing statements, Jesus says, blessed are those who will be persecuted. And so I imagine that some of them, as I've already said, are like, do I really, is this something that I actually want to partake in? Why would I want persecution? Um, I think for the church in the Western world, uh, for the church, our church in America, uh, we live in a culture that puts a premium on comfort. Uh, and a passage like this can be really hard, a passage that calls us uh, to a life that we will experience persecution and suffering in. can be challenging, can even be offensive. Because um, as Steve mentioned earlier on in this series, uh, we desire to increase comfort and decrease discomfort at almost any cost in our lives. Um, for example, uh, I, a few Christmases or a birthday ago, I can't remember uh, for what, but I was gifted a heated foot massager. And I could take this foot, I could bring this with me to work if I wanted to. You could find me in the office just getting a nice massage while I'm writing out a sermon or running a meeting or whatever, whatever it is that we actually do in our offices. Um, uh, another example, if you were to uh, come by, um, the church on a given weekday, you'd notice that all the millennials that work in the offices, we don't use our fluorescent lights because they're just too harsh. They, they, they take away our pro productivity. We, we like to work in, in nice, warm, comfortable living room lamp lighting. Um, I was talking about this with Abby, my wife, uh, last night, and she reminded me that in one of our cars, uh, we were able to, like, on the driver's side, my temperature could be like a a nice cool 65 and for her uh, she could have it on 75 and we we would have the temperatures and the climate that we'd want while we were driving which I don't still don't fully understand how that works but we can do it uh, so it's nice um, but I use those those lighthearted examples to illustrate this reality that anyone who's relatively well-to-do in this country and other countries like it we have our preferences at our fingertips at almost all times and as a result of that reality, uh, when, we, when we're faced with the choice of, of uh, persecution, when we're faced with the reality of suffering, um, we start to, to think about it in terms of how much, uh, like what counts as suffering, what counts as persecution, how much do I have to do before I can check this box off 
my faith list, so to speak. And don't get me wrong, I do think that, uh, to a certain extent, counting the cost is a biblical idea, right? We are called to, to consider what do we have to give up in order to be a part of this kingdom, in order to follow Jesus. But when it comes to, to thinking about persecution and, and when we are tempted to ask ourselves, well, what really counts? How, how much can I get away with? How much do I have to put and go through and all that stuff? Uh, we have to look at this passage and realize that Jesus is speaking about persecution in a way that tells us that persecution is actually out of our control for those of us who follow him. Persecution happens to people who are living faithfully to Jesus. Uh, next week, we'll hear from the uh, beatitude that goes, blessed are you when others revile you on the count of my name. And even that language, when, he doesn't say if, he says when, so we can, we can conclude that persecution is inevitable for the Christian. Persecution is inevitable for the person who recognizes their spiritual poverty, for the person who shows mercy because of the mercy they've been given by God, for the person who hungers for righteousness to manifest in their lives and in the world. For that person, because that is so countercultural to the way that our world naturally works, persecution is inevitable. And Jesus says as much in one of the last times that he would be with his disciples together before he was to be arrested. In John chapter 15, verse 20, when he's in the upper room, Jesus tells his disciples, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is greater, is not, sorry, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And elsewhere, later on in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, his mentee, Timothy, and encouraging him and his leadership of his church, Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's tough. As I picture Jesus giving the sermon on the mount, I can just imagine in that moment after he goes to the statement, the, the like air being sucked out of the crowd. Because as we've, as we've established, everything up to this point has been pretty encouraging, pretty hopeful. And now they're being told, oh, by the way, when you take part in this kingdom, when your allegiance is to me and to the kingdom, you will be persecuted for it. You will be harassed. You will be insulted. You will be disrespected, ignored, neglected. So when we come to this passage, and as I was thinking about this sermon, I was reminded of uh, uh, martyrs, people who, who die for their faith. And one in particular, I, I learned about a woman named Perpetua, who was an African woman who lived during the time of the Roman Empire, not that all that long after Jesus had been killed. Um, she came from a wealthy family, had a husband and a small boy, and uh, she lived at a time where the Roman emperor had declared all religions uh, to be legal so long as at some point they acknowledged that the sun was the, the number one god. And Perpetua refused to do that, and so she was thrown in jail. And she was given four chances by her father who, who begged her to renounce her faith or at least say that she would just go with the flow. And in that time, uh, for a daughter to refuse her father's wishes 
was on one hand insulting and, and just incredibly backwards for the way that things worked. And four times, each time, she refused to turn her back on her faith, and she was killed for it. I also thought of missionaries who, um, who serve in places that are hostile towards Christianity. Um, I was, when I was working on the sermon, I was looking for a quote that I remember hearing uh, about a missionary who was writing back to a church. Um, I don't know if it was in America or not, but in a place that was less hostile um, to, towards Christianity. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't end up finding the quote, but what I found was articles upon articles upon articles that talked about how uh, these missionaries and, and even just people who, who um, are Christians and uh, run churches in countries that are hostile to the faith, they don't uh, encourage people who are praying for them to pray that their persecution would end, which was weird to me, um, but also challenging. They don't ask for their persecution to end because they see it as a badge of honor that they're suffering for their faith as Christ suffered for his faith and for, for his teachings to us. Um, I think that we can look back on various seasons of this country where churches uh, spoke out against injustice, whether it's uh, the civil rights movement, whether it's slavery, uh, you can, the list goes on um, for our country. And I could imagine that when people pushed back, whether it was the missionaries or the martyrs who were being rejected or churches now who were being rejected, I could imagine that people ask, do I really want to be a Christian? Do I really want God's kingdom to come? Do, is this worth all of the, the heartache and the pain and the rejection and the loss that we are enduring. And I'm willing to bet that some of us this morning and throughout this past week asked ourselves that same question. I'm sure that there's somebody in here today who is saying, is this worth it? Is this worth all of the pain and the suffering and just the, the general difficulty that I go through just to try to follow this man named Jesus? I remember when I was baptized early on in middle school, and I, I uh, was under the impression that uh, this is what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Uh, you get baptized, you profess your faith, and, and things pick up, you know, like your faith takes off and things are good. And um, I quickly learned, especially being in middle school, that that was not the case. <laughs> um, in fact, I found it harder to, to uh, live out my faith uh, among my peers found this quote that was humbling, but I think uh, speaks to our reality from a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Sadly, Christians are very often persecuted not for their Christianity, but for lack of it. Sometimes they are rejected simply because they have unpleasing personalities. They are rude, insensitive, thoughtless, or piously obnoxious. Some are rejected because they are discerned as proud and judgmental, Others are disliked because they are lazy and irresponsible. Incompetence mixed with piety is sure to bring rejection. Uh, it's a hard, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I think if we're honest, we either have known people like that or we have been those people ourselves where 
instead of uh, being people who are living counterculturally, uh, we are the people that are maybe even doing the persecuting. Um, or we are the people who are the least loving in the room, the least peacemaking in the room, the least merciful people in the room. So that's one end of the spectrum, but then there's another end of the spectrum, and uh, I was reminded of this when I was uh, talking with a, a good friend of ours earlier uh, this week, and we were just reflecting on some of the relationships in our lives and, and uh, talking through just relational dynamics and how it can be hard to navigate um, certain things, and it's really just hard to, to be friends sometimes uh, in, in this world. And uh, he's, he was telling me that one of his deepest fears, and really one of all of our deepest fears, is I'm afraid that if I tell you how I really feel, you won't like me. Uh, and I think that is another place where we can find ourselves when it comes to living out our faith. Uh, I was reminded of a story uh, from my time in college. I was a part of the leadership team for my church's campus ministry, and uh, like a lot of other campus ministries, we'd have a large group meeting once a week where we'd have a speaker, play games, and all that good stuff. And one of the speakers we had uh, throughout my time at, at college was a man named Timotheus Pope, who uh, at the time worked at a uh, relatively well-known Christian summer camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks. And for me and my friends, Timotheus was always one of the just most impactful and clear and uh, communicators of the gospel to us. So anytime Timotheus was on campus, we were telling people, hey, like, you need to show up tonight. I don't care how much work you have. I don't care if you have a game tomorrow. Like, you just need to be there. Like, find a way to get there. Um, and one of my friends at the time, uh, who I knew wasn't a Christian, he showed up, which was dope. And um, uh, Timotheus threw down as Timotheus does. It was a really good talk. And, uh, you know, then we just went about our weeks. I saw uh, this friend probably close to a week later. And, uh, you know, you see somebody, especially if you know them, you can tell when somebody's got a lot on their mind. You can tell when something's heavy on their, on their heart. Uh, I saw that a lot in college. Um, and he uh, stops, and he's like, hey, man, like, that guy that came last week, like, he was really good. Like, what he had to share was, was really, really powerful. And so I'm thinking, oh, sweet. Like, he's, he's, he's getting it. It's starting to sink in a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab lunch with him. I'm going to try to share the gospel and see what happens, because, like, that's what Christians do. Um, and so we, we're at lunch. He, we're catching up. He's telling me about his weekend and all that good stuff. And um, <laughs> there's a break in the conversation and he just kind of like looks at me and says, so why did you want to hang out? Like, why, did, why did you want to grab lunch? And I just kind of froze because it felt like he, he was like seeing through the, the ploy. Um, <laughs> um, it kind of made it sound like we didn't hang out, which um, maybe that was true. But um, uh, so he, he, he confronts me on that and I'm kind of like shook. And I just, I'm like, oh, you know, like, I just wanted to hang out and catch up. It's, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing big. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't end up talking to him about anything spiritual. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I basically what happened was I let what uh, I felt like was his acceptance of me and, and what he thought of me impact 
my commitment to what God had put on my heart to share. And I think that's what it can be like um, uh, following Jesus in the midst of this world. I think sometimes it's easy to, to um, get caught up in desiring for the world to accept us uh, more than we desire to follow what God, what God has put on our hearts. Um, I came across a passage from James when I was going through this. Uh, James chapter 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And even though some of us have probably read that verse, even though we know that to be true, it's still hard. Because like that quote from my friend says, we, we all just want to be accepted. Nobody wants to have enemies. But what's interesting about this passage is in Luke, in the, the same, in a similar account of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke, uh, Jesus pairs these beatitudes, these blessing statements, with uh, woe statements. Um, so each one that, that says, blessed are dot, 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 there's a corresponding woe to you who dot, dot, dot. And Luke 6.26 is the woe that pairs with our beatitude for this morning, and it says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And what Jesus is alluding to there is during the time in Israel's history when uh, Israel was going to be, was getting ready to be exiled from the promised land because they were disobedient almost all the time to God, not unlike we are um, in our day and age. Uh, Prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah were often doing what God called them to do while they were also false prophets taking advantage of the climate of the day. Um, and of these people and their false prophets, Isaiah chapter 30 says, they say to the seers, do not see. To the prophets, don't say what is right, but tell us the smooth things. The smooth things. I love that expression. Because it gets at this reality that um, as much as as we do love Jesus, as much as we try to follow his word, it is always hard to be told when you're wrong. It is always hard to be faced with the reality that you might not actually be right all the time about all things. And that's something that we have in common with people who are not believers. And it's easy to fall into that of wanting to be correct, wanting uh, the world to accept us. And so we're faced often with choices day by day of, am I going to compromise the truth that I know that the Bible tells me for the sake of fitting in? Or will I try to find a way to express the truth in love and whatever that looks like in a given situation? And that woe, woe to you when all people speak well of you, that hits me because I crave for everyone to think well of me. I am, I, or at least I think I am, masterful at presenting versions of myself in a given situation that will uh, make people think of me what I want them to think. I'm sure the search team is thinking, like, man, did this guy finesse us for this job? <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a fair question to ask ourselves is, if we have never experienced rejection for the sake of God's kingdom, Are we citizens of God's kingdom? And when it comes to this reality of having to be willing to lean into situations where we might face adversity, where we might be rejected for the sake of our faith, uh, we're not actually unfamiliar with the reality of pushing through adversity. 
whether it's for a promotion at work, whether it's for acceptance of our peers, like the story I shared, whether it's to take an irrational amount of credits in school piled on top of uh, irrational amount of extracurricular activities to get into the right college or be the best student, or whether it's simply just to make enough money so that you can get to a place where you can finally rest. When it comes to being persecuted because of righteousness, the question becomes, are we willing to prioritize God's righteousness, which is entrusting ourselves and our security to Jesus and what he has promised us over the temporary comfort that the world offers us? Because look at, look at this passage. It's not like this is a bad shake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is a place where the broken and oppressed are invited, the poor and the downtrodden are invited, a place where the ignored, the weary, the heavy, the heavy laden are invited. It's a place where regardless of social status, ethnicity, competency, intellect, we are all invited to come rest in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And whether you recognize it or not, you, me, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your best friends, your worst enemies, your favorite celebrity, your role models, everyone is trying to be in a place or trying to find a place where they can just finally say, everything is going to be okay. But the hard reality is that the only place that we can find such rest is when we give our whole selves, our whole faith to Jesus Christ. The Lord promised us a lot of things throughout the Bible. The one that I, that I come back to in particular a lot, uh, especially over the past couple years, comes towards the end of that farewell speech that I referenced uh, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room before he's arrested. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't it freeing to know that Jesus knew life would be hard for people who followed him? Isn't it freeing that he told us that life would be hard when we follow him? Because I take that for granted all of the time. I think it's easy to fall into that trap that I was in in middle school of thinking, because we are following who we believe to be the one true God, that things should be good. And that's what the world tells us. The world tells us you put good things out, good things come back to you. And while that happens, sometimes that is not a rule or a law for us to live by. Because right here, Jesus says, you will have trials, but I've overcome all of those trials. Um, I love uh, the game of basketball. I love watching it, love refing it, love playing it. I love, I watch elementary school, middle school, high school, WNBA, NBA, it doesn't matter. Um, and this past year's NBA finals featured two teams that hadn't been to the finals in a really long time. And one of those teams was the Phoenix Suns, whose coach uh, is named Monty Williams. And it's my understanding that he's a believer, which is cool. Um, the Phoenix Suns at one point, it's a best of seven series. At one point, they had an opportunity to steal a game on the road, I think. Um, but they ended up blowing a lead, and they fell behind 2-1 to one in the series, and they would ultimately go on to lose the finals. But uh, after that game that they definitely should have won, um, there's a video clip of the coach, uh, Monty Williams, 
just trying to encourage his team after a hard loss. And he tells them that everything you want is on the other side of hard. Everything you want is on the other side of hard. And I think about that a lot because as we've already established, being a Christian in this world is really hard. And Jesus told us it was going to be hard. But sometimes choosing the ways of the world feels easier. Sometimes not calling out our friends in the name of peace feels easier. Sometimes just falling in line and doing whatever our bosses or or friends tell us to do, even if it seems unjust or cruel, in the name of peace feels easier. Preserving the lives that we've built for ourselves, preserving our reputations in spite of sharing our faith or living out our faith in various situations feels easier. But as Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It is hard to stay loyal to Christ in the face of pain. Um, and the early church knew this well. They were faced with decisions of life and faith, or life or faith, uh, earthly life, that is, or faith, a lot more frequently than we are uh, in the United States. Um, and read a, a really brief account of an early church father from Africa named Tertullian, who's from Tunisia. And uh, basically, uh, the account is uh, a guy comes up to him looking for advice because his business interests conflict with his faith. Um, they don't really get specific. All, I know, all that we know is that he had to choose essentially between making money and making a living or following Jesus. And he goes up to, to Tertullian and he says, what can I do? I must live. I've got to make a living. Tertullian just responds, must you? I'd be like, I mean, I'd like to. It would be ideal. Uh, these stories from the past of people who had to choose between life and faith remind us that this choice isn't a new one. We're not going through anything that others haven't come before us and gone through. So what moves us to persevere through persecution? I would submit that in all things, as in all things, we should look to the example of Christ. Hebrews is one of my favorite books, and it talks a lot about how uh, Christ is our model, is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it talks about him having endured the cross for the joy set before him, despising its shame. And to speak of the cross in that way for me is really shocking because uh, the joy set before him, what is the joy set before him? To go through something as brutal and disgusting and painful as being hanged on a cross until you died. The joy was that we would have a chance to be with him. The joy was being obedient to God the Father. The joy was that we, after Jesus tearing down the dividing wall of hostility that exists, not only between you and I, but between us and God, so that we could enjoy peace, so that we could reach that place of rest that we were all looking for. Um, earlier this week, I was reading uh, Psalm 94, which is really similar to the psalm that um, Jenna and Manuela read earlier. Um, and it talks about the psalmist is crying out to God, asking, how long will the wicked succeed? How long will we be oppressed? And he, the psalmist lands by saying, thanks be to God, who is my ultimate hope, because without him I would fade away. I think it's, it is easy and even understandable to get fed up sometimes when it seems like wicked people are winning. 
But I think we also have to remember that in the example of Jesus Christ, in his work, in his life, in his death and resurrection, we see God's faithfulness play out. We see his faithfulness to his promises play out. Because as the Bible says, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage us as we go throughout our week and as we move forward in this, this series through the Sermon on the Mount, consider the fact that Jesus has not asked us to do anything he hasn't gone before us and done. And consider the fact that he has told us what to expect, but that while persecution is inevitable, persecution doesn't have the final word. Let's move to our confession of faith, which will be on the screen, as well as in uh, your order of worship. Are you with me? Lord Jesus Christ, by your steadfast love and atoning sacrifice, you took our place and proved yourself to be the friend of sinners. You were punished that we might be pardoned and broken that we would be made whole. In your resurrection, you demonstrated your power over death and secured our future. Triumphant, redeemed, and blessed eternal. While we await your return, we confess that we have been faithless and anxious in heart. In our restlessness, we have sought peace for our souls and a salvation of our making. Apart from you, we find ourselves dangerously proud, alone, and worn. Forgive us, Savior, renew our faith, and restore to us the true rest you alone offer us. Amen.